All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. Uh, this week, we got our boy Mike Bryant on, uh, vice president and talent buyer of Dunedin Brewery, also a multi-instrumentalist playing in several projects such as Spore, Brain Emoji, Follow the Monarchs, Scallop, Zero Context, and the Talking Heads tribute band, Road to Nowhere. Uh, Mike has also started a new brand called Unusual Noise, connecting all of his unique talents in an effort to support and elevate his team. And on top of all that, he's got a baby mama, which implies that he has a child. So this is probably one of the busiest guys on the planet. Did I get it all out there? Is that correct? Yeah, but I still think I have time to do more. <laughs> that is fucking wild, bro. <laughs> How many bands is that? Was it like seven bands? What is that? Let's see. I think it's seven. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah, I just seven bands? Did I just it. Rain Man? It? Rain Man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's wild, man. How do you? Uh, well, first off, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Welcome yeah. to Jack's, Thanks for having man. me, guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do the, we, we haven't done the the obligatory cheers. No, we have this season yet, so we got to start doing that again. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Like get two drinks and we each got one. What's up with that? You got two drinks too. Oh, that's a chaser. That's just ginger ale from Kentucky. Call it ale eight. It's delicious. I love ginger ale. <sighs> yeah, I'll get you one later if you want. Appreciate it. All right. So uh, the uh, question that I have for you to start off is obviously, how do you manage your time, man? <laughs> like, mm. It's wild. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder about this myself sometimes. I've got multiple calendars. Um, so I use a personal calendar now on just on my phone, on like Apple calendar. And then, um, we've got a company calendar for like all the bookings at the brewery, um, all the events we do for beer and stuff like that. And then I make a lot of lists. So that's my biggest strength. I think over time that I've learned is just to write everything down and kind of make a point to, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. Um, but of course you can just have pages and pages of lists at that time, which I do. I've got you know, more ideas than time. Yeah, totally. So, but, so I let whatever bubble to the top, bubble to the top. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just crazy. I sometimes think, wonder what people think about all the stuff I do because I start to think about it myself instead of doing it. And it's, I'm always curious if people think I'm doing a lot or if, uh, other people are doing just as much or, you know, like how skewed is the perspective of that? No, yeah, everybody thinks you're doing a ton of stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, like every new idea that you come up with or that you go on, like, so like, does it is it because the other idea is over? And it's like, no, I was like, so you're just adding on top just of it, adding on new things, like yeah. building your own fucking you know Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> climbing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that it's important nowadays um, as an artist to have your hands as many ventures as, as you can. I think that's kind of what uh, the, the successful artists are doing today. 100%. You know, um, what do you think keeps you motivated to, to stay so creative and pursue all these different things? Mostly interacting with other people. I don't like to do stuff alone. I don't like to make music alone. Um, I sit in my studio and try to, you know, produce beats or write a song um, for myself and nothing happens. Um, wasting time. So a lot of it's just this is my way of hanging out with my friends and with people and interacting with people because um, I don't want to sit around and just have conversations about soap operas or what the Kardashians are doing or really anything except for what we're doing right now. That's a uh, I'm, it's like refreshing to hear that that viewpoint because I feel like I like that can often be misconstrued as antisocial or people you know get this weird thing because. 
they 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 have a certain perception about people like that because it is so focused on the now and what we're doing creatively or with the business, whatever it might be, and everything else just seems so trivial. I, I have a similar thing with with that too. Uh, do you ever encounter that where people like mis misconstrue like what you're? Oh yeah, whole thing I've been is? called a narcissist before. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like to a traditional American lifestyle historically in the past 50, 100 years. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing something completely different, out of the box, non-traditional. Um, but I don't really care. Nice. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like if somebody's got a different viewpoint than you, it's fine. But if it doesn't align with your own viewpoint, you got to kind of look at it and say, is it really worth spending any more time on it? Right. 100%. That's got to also contribute to, I mean, if you're able to think about it that way and compartmentalize, it definitely contributes to uh, how you're able to pursue so many things because you just trim the fat. Like It seems very obvious to you. Yeah, and I think if I was completely selfish, I wouldn't have a baby. I wouldn't have a relationship of going on eight years. Um, I wouldn't be part of a family business um, that's based on community, and really that's the core of it. Right. So I think the people that say that just aren't paying attention long enough to see the other stuff that I do or what it's connected to or why I do it. They don't even ask. So. Right. That's yeah. yeah that's, I feel that man. Uh, what's been the, the role of the brewery uh, in your kind of, in your, in your journey in life? Uh, well, <clears throat> I mean, when I first, uh, when the brewery first opened, I was in middle school. So I like chimed in the brewery with bagpipes and all that stuff. And uh, my dad had this goal of building a, family business that was cool enough for us to be interested in um, because we did not like his other job. His other job was a general contractor building like Domino's pizzas and Papa John's and me and my sisters had no interest in that. So he decided he was going to, you know, go and do his own hobby, which is brewing um, something creative that he enjoyed for himself. And uh, eventually he thought of us as like, Oh, the kids are going to take that over. And people would always say, Oh, this will all be yours one day. <laughs> and every time in my head, I'm going, I, don't want that, you know, like, that's not what I want to do. I want to make music. I want to make art. It's always been music. Um, and there's never been another goal in my life. Um, but the brewery has eventually given me a platform. Um, I came back to kind of help the family business because it was kind of being run poorly and just mismanaged because they weren't able to give enough time because it wasn't making money. And their other business that they had to focus on was what was keeping it afloat. So they had to focus on that keep the money coming to the brewery so that it could keep failing ultimately. Uh, um, and they were about to sell it. Um, they were going to close it down. This is 2009. They kind of were considering that. And I said, well, hold on. Like I can see some of the issues that are going on. You know, I had just moved back to town and uh, said, why don't you give me just some time to try, try to fix it and get it back on track for you. Cause we had to get rid of somebody who, you know, just was in the wrong spot. I'm still friends with that person and they have their own brewery now. Um, but they needed their own spot. And uh, yeah, I kind of just started taking on roles there. Um, all I wanted to do was start a kitchen garden. Like I was big into permaculture and gardening and like sustainability. So I wanted to basically do permaculture design for the brewery. And that was going to be my business. And uh, yeah, it just, it's been a blur since. Have, is there is is that element incorporated into the business now, or you guys you guys have that aspect like the permaculture thing? Yeah, I, I design systems in the business that are um, sustainable, 
Um, and we try to do as much as we can for, you know, the planet and stuff like that. It's very difficult these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've had awards for being uh, the most uh, sustainable business in downtown Dunedin and have some, you know, awards from that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Did you go to school for business or did you, what, what was your, what was your background in college? It was the opposite of business. It was philosophy and religion. Oh, <laughs> there you wow. Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think? Uh, what, what do you think kind of allowed you to take the perspective of I can fix this business? Like, like let, let me in and do my thing. I knew that there was no wrong answer at that point. You know, you study philosophy, you realize there's how many viewpoints, which one's right. Like, that's the whole concept of philosophy. What's truth? And, uh, you know, going down that rabbit hole to the point of uh, basically like my favorite philosopher and who I ended studying with was uh, Nietzsche. And it's the concept that starts uh, existentialism, which is where we create our own meaning and uh, for ourselves. And that's how you have purpose in life. And uh, taking that, I kind of knew that what was going on with the brewery was not successful. It was hurting my dad's feelings. It was making him feel terrible about something that he had a lot of passion for. And, uh, yeah, I just knew that that was wrong. It wasn't working. And I didn't know if I had the right answer, but I figured I could try. And I could at least uh, know what his goals were and try to make that happen. And his goals were basically make beer and have fun. So um, for a while there, we just never made any money. (laughs) (laughs) I I pump it back into the bands, into the community, into the entertainment, you know, like doing hospitality at OBJ or... Halloween and stuff like that, um, we take every little dime and throw it back in the community. So it's, and that, that's okay with our family. We're not here to make a big old pot of money or anything like that. We just want to sustain our happiness. That's awesome. Man. I think the first time that I uh, ever knew that the brewery existed was when you, uh, you were doing the hospitality for Aura. Do you remember that? Yeah, the one where we did uh, on the landing strip? Yeah. yeah. In the middle of uh, Central Florida, it was like an old school, like, uh, yeah, landing strip. And we did like, we did like uh, a schedule of beers. It was awesome. (laughs) Where it was like every two hours we put a new beer on tap. It was the craziest idea I had because I was like, (laughs) oh, we got to like really show up for this beer fest or for this music festival. And uh, Daryl Wolf and Cameron had invited us just because they knew that bands that were playing at the festival were being supported by the brewery. And so they're like, do you want to? come sponsor the music festival. And I said, certainly. Didn't know anything about music festivals at that point, um, except for what was going on in, like, Sertoma, like OBJ, smaller right. stuff. And, uh, yeah, we kind of went crazy, and then I realized that it's a lot of extra time and spinning wheels to um, not necessarily make any extra profit. And that doesn't just mean money, but, like, gaining something that sustains and moves forward. Right. So, you know... That was the craziest thing we've ever done for hospitality, but then it kind of got more traditional. You know, like people love beer. It doesn't matter if you're bringing five to 12 different varieties or two, as long as it's good beer and they like it and they're enjoying themselves and having fun. That's all you need to do for hospitality. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun, though. Yeah, it was one of my favorite festivals ever. And I just remember it's like, yeah, you just had 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 your uh, uh, beer, not 10. It was like a... a like a trailer almost, right? Well, it was a trailer, and it was up against the, like, lookout tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was above us. After, after, like, the sun went down and everybody went to bed, that's what I was doing is going on that lookout tower. 
and then stealing beer. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'll tell you what, it was the because crazy. There, there's not like a lock on it. You just open up the fucking draft, <laughs> and then I, I mean, like, but I had at least like ten of those apricot PGL beers. Anyways, oh thank God. you. That was the crazy. And this is. I'm just sorry. I think, like, I think we made an impact because we didn't like know what we should be doing or shouldn't be doing, and we just basically had fun. I know. We had volunteers, and like one of my volunteers, God bless his soul. I won't say his name because he's a great musician. Um, but at the time, he decided to um, drop some LSD and come to his shift. And so, like, people are coming up and trying to talk to him, and he's off looking at, like, whatever he's looking at, and it's in the middle of the day. And so, ultimately, I had to learn, I learned a lot about, you know, dealing with hospitality and working inside of the party, because that was my biggest, like, first learning curve on that, which is what we do at the brewery. We're creating parties, and we have to work yeah. while that's happening. Right. And the same with you guys, you know, when you guys come and you're working, you can party a little bit, you can have a beer or maybe yeah. a cocktail, but you can't, you know get drunk and still operate and play your guitar great or play your keyboard just as great. Right. You know, so it's, it was a big learning curve. And that, I'd say one of my first lessons in like towards just the success of what we all do, you know, in the music scene. It's a good festival by the best day. Yeah, I know. I wish I would have been able to go. That was to that the first one. time I saw Dopapod, Kung Fu, Papadocio, Papadocio. All and it was the first time I've seen any of them ever for the first time. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Uh, uh, Magic Beans were there too. Yeah, Doctor Famous. Doctor uh, Famous, crazy was, set. Yeah, wow. it must have been awesome. like overload. Oh, just that, especially then, if you've never heard of them before. It was know? pouring rain too. It was Remember pouring. Oh yeah, and I was uh, having fun time with a couple of letters as well. And I uh, <laughs> was. Uh, what was I trying to say? That uh, 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 everybody was playing with each other. That was that was the best part. It was like those two side stages where there was like one one set was over, another one began right next to each other, and the musicians would be like, "This sounds good," and they would just go to the other side of the stage and start jamming with them. It That's was awesome. super cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Man, I wish I would have been able to go to that festival. You didn't even know what jam music was then. Not at that point. No, I wasn't, it was like yeah, that was for. like 2010. But it was a lot of 11. electronic jam music. It was so dope. It was like jam. Johnny Grab was there and like uh, oh, biodiesel. Remember I miss Bio Johnny Rav so much. Please come back to Jam Trying Again if you're watching Johnny Rav. <laughs> Please. He's the fastest drummer in the world. Really? Literally, he's yeah. got the Guinness World Record. Him really? and KJ Soccer, they're the two that need to be in our but, scene. But Biodiesel Bio was so good, right? Oh, God, they were the best. Yeah. Such yeah. a nice guy, though. I think he's Canadian, too. It's got to be. <laughs> it took me a while to get into the, to the Jam stuff because I, I discovered like the Almond Brothers first in like, you know, early 20s. And then I was like, this, I like this a lot. And then as I started getting a little bit older, it was more like, I started opening up my mind to like synthesizers and different electronic elements, and then now like I, like one of my favorite bands of all time is Dopapod, uh, and yeah. and like that whole like, Kung Fu was amazing, uh, and I'm stoked that Tim Tim is playing with he, Lotus he, now. Oh yeah, yeah. With Lotus. But he, he just, just he just played at Dunedin, right? Yeah, he just did a four day residency, so yeah. he, or three day because he had to leave a day earlier. We planned on four, um, but then he left for practice for rehearsals for uh, Lotus. Lotus. Tour. But yeah, he did a couple of uh, happy hours on his acoustic guitar and then put together a band on Thursday with locals, Mike Gary and uh, Austin from Road Joma. And uh, oh, I can't remember his name. He's going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel Lantigua um, from Tropico Boulevard. And so just put together a band of locals and played, shredded over top of that. Awesome. So made their dreams, you know, like these are people that look up to him as, an, you know, as like an idol guitar player, like their favorite. And getting to play full sets with them, so props to him. We opened up for them at Jackrabbits a few years back. Kung Fu, yeah, oh yeah. And Tim was just like super nice. I went up to I, I very rarely fanboy over anybody, but I went up to him and said, "Hey man, I just want to let you know that I study your licks and your playing, and I just think that you're fucking amazing, man." Oh, and crazy. he was so nice about it, like not weird or like you know some guys can be like 
you know, all fucking entitled and shit after 100%. that. Yeah, but he was super cool and chill about it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a great guy to just kick back and hang with for sure. And he's and it's cool, man, because I, I, I've been able to like just hit him up on Facebook here and there, and he's always responsive and and like remembered me too, which is I just I don't know. It's that's a cool. I try and take note of that and try to apply oh, yeah. that when I'm talking to people because I I think that's just a cool element to. I think that's why we all applaud him being a part of Lotus and getting that gig. Exactly. Because if you think of, like, there's a lot of guitar players out there that could have taken that gig. But he, like, you, I can't even imagine somebody else because he's it's so just, good. he's so genuine. The rest of the Lotus guys are all very nice. I don't know if you've met or interacted with yeah, them. Yeah, of course. They're all great. So he just, I think, fits with that band. They're, you know, a band of nice dads now. Nice they, dads. They look like really nice dads. <laughs> <Yeah. Like laughs> the nice. most shreddy dads out there. <laughs> nice Heady da- shreddy dads. Heady nice shreddy dads. dads. It's a great band. band. <laughs> Just nice dads. Uh, actually, uh, I think Mark Letiri has a, a band called like Dad Band or something. Dad Band? Yeah, it's just like, like they used to like 80s yacht rock covers. Perfect. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> the guitar player from Snarky Puppy just like in a, in a yacht rock band. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, uh, so... I'm curious, you were talking about like learning curves. What are some other learning curves that you were kind of realizing as your role with the brewery started to kind of grow? Like just uh, things that have like big lessons and stuff? Yeah, like realizations that you may have came to or things that you, that you took on that you were maybe unaware of that in that, in that position. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm going <clears> to <throat> try to keep it within you know our genre. I think uh, when it came to booking bands um, and building that, I started just by booking the same thing that was already there. I mean, there was already local musicians playing regularly. I didn't want to mess that up. Um, Colonel Bruce would come through there every couple months, Bobby Lee Rogers, but it was always more in the Americana kind of like jam, Southern rock stuff. And uh, I just started kind of searching for music outside. I realized that people want to dance and they want to like, there's two different types of listeners. There's listeners like us who play music and want to watch someone play. And then there's people that want to um, dance. You know, there's everything in between, but those are the two big sectors at my spot. I want a place where musicians can come and hang out on their day off and enjoy it. And I also want to make sure that people are coming in to shake their butt. Yeah. And so funk kind of took over the big thing. Um, and funk has become a huge thing in our scene in the past eight years, um, if not the biggest component, I would say. But over time, I, you know, Got to meet a lot of people, and I always wondered, you know, people ask me, how do I do what I do? I've had people in town accuse me of buying a book that I guess has phone numbers and emails to call. The, I don't know the right numbers. I still don't understand how it works, because like, just you because of my number's in a book doesn't mean that the person that bought the book is going to have access to me. But you, you bought like a, a like a book of uh, connections, like Necronomicon yeah. sort of deal kind of book. I tried to look it up on Amazon because I was like, that sounds like a great book. Yeah, right. but um, yeah, uh, ultimately the answer that I always say, which is I think one of the biggest lessons, is uh, I am able to do what I do, which is put on pretty high caliber shows for free, um, be, and with amazing musicians that could play much higher paying gigs um, by making friends and. That's about it. I mean, because I'm not by any means trying to say that it's not a great place. It just doesn't make any sense, really, when you like think of the big picture. I'm like, oh, what's the cap of the room? Um, it depends. If we have the, like, I always say 200 plus. Yeah. Um, the fire marshal, if you have the tables in there and stuff like that, it's like 140. Um, but when you t- take those overhead doors up and it floods out into the beer garden, the beer garden's three times the size of the room. Of so, course, of course, of course. You know, it, 
technically like when Bernie Worrell played there, it was flooded all Sorry, the way out man. to the front, and there was probably <laughs> 500 people in there. But it's just so strange because uh, that, that that's when you when you walk in at first, you're like, oh okay, and the stage is like so it's so small, it's an adorable stage. Oh yeah, and then and then like you said, like fucking Bernie Worrell is playing there. Yeah, Cor- like or Corey uh, Henry, Corey, Cor- uh, Corey Henry story. His band comes in there, and they came. I was happened to be sitting at the bar after work and you know having a beer before getting ready for the show and uh the band comes in and they kind of look around and they're like all right we're we're the band playing tonight um where's the other room <laughs> exactly right <laughs> and my my bartender is like naive they're thinking like what are you talking about so they're like oh there you go now that's where you're playing <laughs> and they're like sitting there taking their hats off scratching their heads going what yeah <laughs> and cory walks in cory's got his headphones in because all he does is listen to music and uh pops them out and they're like that's where we're playing he's like cool yeah. <laughs> and that's why Corey Henry's where he is because he's not going to sit there and close a door. You know, there's no problem with playing that. Yeah. In right. His opinion. There was a, uh, I read this, uh, this article. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a, uh, he has credits on like Kendrick Lamar tunes and um, just a bunch of other stuff. Thundercat? No, no, no. Terrence Martin? It, maybe he's a keyboard player. Oh, this is a sax player I'm thinking of. Uh, so he was, uh, but he was talking about just staying humble as an artist and he was like, if I ever turn down a gig, it's never never because I think that I'm too good. He's like, I understand that I have credits on this, this, and this, but I'm never above taking a bar gig or a wedding gig or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big that's played a big role in why I've been able to be so lucky to uh, to do what I do because it's just staying humble and realizing that you're never above anything. You well, know, I mean, imagine the last two years. If if you didn't have that humbleness, what were you? What would you be doing as a musician, a successful one? I mean, a highly successful artist. What were they doing if they didn't bring those barriers down? They were sitting in their home, not going on tour, yeah, because all the shows were canceled. You know, so I mean, the people that don't adapt to just whatever opportunities there, like you're saying, I don't know, they're kind of shutting the door on themselves. Totally, totally. It's a it's it's a wild perspective. It's it's a wild thing to me when, when artists get get their heads too big it's like either you've never been humbled before or just you didn't have to work to be where you're at because you don't get it you know yeah they haven't been you know like had a rough patch for a long time at that point i'd say totally there was a uh, i was listening to this podcast whole fucking career's been a rough patch yeah. no <laughs> you're probably doing, doing great though yeah we're doing great that's how you learn <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely learned a lot of yeah, shit we're so humble and it's really taking off for it <laughs> yeah <laughs> It always helps to be humble when you say it. Yeah, yeah. No, no. no, I'm very. I'm probably the most humble person you've ever met. Yeah, there's a. Uh, I, I was listening to this podcast and I can't remember her name, um, but she plays in a band and I can't. It was I can't remember the band's name now, but it was her and Gary Clark Jr. and they were talking uh, about different stuff. And Gary Clark, it was so um, just calm, cool, and collected. But he's just like, yeah, I mean we used to play four hour gigs at bars, you know, you make, you know, whatever money, but a lot of time you were just playing for tips. Mm-hmm. She was like, wait, you used to play for four hours. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, I can't even imagine We do like, you know, half an hour shows, whatever. And I'm, I'm like, Oh yeah, you, you came out of the LA scene, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Like, you never played a four hour gig. Like, That's where you only get gigs by doing five minute shows at first, ex- then 10 minute shows, then they give you 15, then they allow you 20. You exactly. Know? Oh, wow. Incremental like growth is ex- what they want out there. Exactly. But I get, I get all that shit too. And that's, that's great. Um, but man, there's something about that, that grind. And the, the most successful musicians that I know that moved out there were the ones that, that came from other places doing this grind, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just wild to me, man. Um, Did you ever do cover band stuff? 
Uh, I've almost all my life said I would never play a cover song. Why not? Never. I mean, I've done them. Like, we did punk covers, like, back in the yeah. day. You know, we played a song called Big Women by GBH and stuff. And just nonsense and silly songs. But, uh, yeah, I, because I like originality. I want original art. Um, yeah, that's, that's just true. all I stand for and all I've ever wanted to uh, be known for. Um, but now I play in a Talking Heads tribute band. Oh, yeah. And it, it kind of flipped my lid on it because it's more like doing musicology course on the band. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you get to learn not only about the culture of the band, if you're doing it right. Like, I went and watched every video I could, read books uh, about their biographies, you know, and um, listen to the songs and then kind of try to come at it the way they would. You know, I don't, we don't play, none of the Talking Heads shows are the same. Like, you listen to the studio stuff versus a live show, they're very different, which is kind of, you know, not, it's unique, but it's not necessarily unique in our scene. You know, the jam band scene, it's the same songs, but they're always different. Right. And so it's kind of like that. But all I wanted to do is make sure that I could honor, you know, what Bernie Worrell brought to the table there, which was some weird stuff. And I think I do that for them. I, they have told me that I'm almost like what uh, gives it its like weird cred, you know, because they're very, they're also, all, everybody else in the band is highly uh, trained. Um, you know, they teach, uh, students and stuff like that. I'm a by ear guy. I never went to school for music outside of learning clarinet and bagpipes. Everything I play today is just self-learned and self-taught by ear. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I add a wild element to the group. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, cause I was the same way too with like the not wanting to play cover bands and, and that kind of thing. And there was almost no way around it when like, like growing up in South Florida and, and that scene, so you you end up doing it, but then there's this thing where you, you realize like, oh, you can like uh, authentically learn how to play certain styles if you learn that kind of stuff. Not to say that you can't. I mean, I'm all I'm all about creativity and writing and all that stuff too. But there there is an element of playing a style authentically that you only really get when you learn like certain songs within that yeah. style of music. You know? Yeah, I think I think what I learned over time is that. I, I was naive. I thought that there was like some kind of original sound that I could create, you know, like all these times. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to create something that nobody else has done, like there, a sense of pride or something like that. And then you realize that all ideas are based on other ideas and shared amongst communities and people being, you know, hanging out and stuff like that. And that's why I kind of like I've let my guard down on a lot of idealism. You know, like I used to be pretty idealistic. Now, nowadays, it's just I like to think all practical. Yeah, I will say if my 19 year old self knew that I was in a fucking cover band called the Hangout Express, <laughs> he would have killed himself then just to keep it from happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but it yeah, proves time get, travel doesn't exist. No, I mean, and this is good, but but I, I I think that yeah, it's like you said, you're naive about it at first, and then you're like, oh shit, like you can learn things the more you know. <laughs> yeah, I learned to plagiarize in college. And my uh, my creative writing teacher, I went to a, like you learned. You the learned weird, to I went to the craziest school ever. Um, there was no majors, no grades. Um, so we like learned with multiple teachers in small classes with a small amount of students. And in our creative writing, the thing they taught us to do was uh, plagiarize. And if you plagiarize and you pay attention to the detail and you just attend to what you're writing, it's kind of like the same as you know playing a cover song. If you attend to it and you pay enough attention to it, you can kind of get an idea of maybe where they're coming from. Why did they make this choice? Right. And then you can kind of learn to make choices and put that in your toolbox. 100%. And yeah. I don't mean like word for word, but like take the structure of a song and rewrite it. People do it all the time. 
I'm sure you guys have done that in small ways with experiment, experimenting in songwriting. Yeah, 100%. mostly Dave Matthews, just like the way that he writes songs, and then you just do it exactly the same way. Uh, I don't I think just, that no, my just, songs sound like Dave Matthews wait, at all. Wait, unpopular opinion on Not yet, yeah. not yet. And that's not unpopular, that's what everyone thinks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Billy also thinks that Umphreys sounds like Dave Matthews, so if I used to think no, slightly. No, 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 I think Brendan Bayless sounds like Dave Matthews. Yep. I don't, Zinniger, I'll second that. I don't rush his Dave Matthews out of the water. I don't hear I don't hear that at all. I don't know. It's just it's wild to me that that's that that's an opinion. We know but, what you're listening to, so. <laughs> um, Davey. Speaking of uh, of uh, while we're on the in the realm of music reviews, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, we're gonna do our we're gonna head to the bottom of the Billboard segment. Uh, I'm so good at segues. I don't even know what I'm doing. Old yeah. Man. Um. Okay. The song was Whoa, bottom of the Billboard. Yeah. 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 yeah bottom. You want to yeah. keep explaining it or no? Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, for those who aren't aware, bottom of the Billboard is basically a segment that we just started doing. Uh, each week, either myself or Billy will recommend a song for the other person to listen to, and then we review that song. And if you know anything about our dynamic, we typically hate each other's styles of music. So hates the software. Yeah, it's very software. Yeah, yeah. Despise is a better yeah. representation. Um, yeah. So this week. Billy chose. I chose uh, one of the 2000s hits, uh, Say Anything's Alive with the Glory of Love. One of the most underrated songs of an underrated album of all time. It's emo, pop punk. I don't know what you want to call I it. I had never heard of it. Neither did, you never, I. did you listen to it after? I did listen I did? to it. Okay, all right. But yeah, it's, it's that vein of that 2000s emo, except like the, the musicality of it is so great. The lyrics are amazing. It's literally about his uh, grandfather's experience in the Holocaust. That's what the, all it's, it's about. And it's just like, there's time signature changes, slowdowns, and like the fucking lyrics are just perfect. I love I love that song. I know every word of that song. And I don't even like emo music at all. I just, I, I just can't get into it. But that song and that whole band, I love. Okay. What do you think? I thought it was a little rapey. <laughs> it's not rapey. A little rapey. It's like, I want, they're, they're, like, the, like literally the first... <laughs> Lines in that song are like I want to see, like I want to, I want to, like they're in love. Yeah, but it's, it's like teenage love. That they're talking about their grandparents. Just you know? look, look up the lyrics. I can't remember the lyrics exactly. But look them up. The first line you're when just I like, see you, want to do you right where you're standing. Sorry, copyright. Yeah, yeah of course. In the dark, How's that rapey? Uh, in the dark, uh, while right in you're in this foyer, in this dark way, right in plain view. Yeah, that's not rapey. That's literally definitely like right in he's plain view. Gonna, he's he's not saying I'm going to do you. He yeah. says I want to. I just have like, this picture of you staring at some woman, just like saying that Me? to her. Yeah, whatever you listen to that, so you're just like, yeah, that's what I want to do. If I if I if <laughs> if I like sing talk the lyrics of the song to any girl with just a little bit of a chip on, I'm in. Yeah. What are you talking about? This song's amazing. So Billy, is it's the album's like a rock opera? No, it's not a rock or opera it's at like all. Some kind of th- it's like just just this one song okay. that is like that. The rest of the song is all, and it's very. I would say that it's very sexual. The whole al- album is. There's there's more songs. There's, it's not even my favorite. Well, it is my favorite song off the record, but there's a couple other ones that are really good too. But um, a lot of them are sexual. There was some other stuff about that I did like though. Yeah, what did you like? Um, so, uh, I like. There, like throughout the bridge, there's a section where kind of like you have like this sex tuplet kind of thing going oh, in the background, sakes, and guy. it's over like <laughs> while it's keeping this four, it's kind of straight ahead four on the floor kind of feel. Um, so I like the counter rhythms there. Okay. Um, the That's I like part you hate. I'm just like <laughs> like like the, it's just 
You're a robot, man. Like you do the, all the love and like the passion and like very the colors. Teenage. I don't like that. It's the very colors, teenage angsty. Duke, the colors. Very, teenage, even, oh. very teenage angsty. Not into all that. I don't think uh, you ever were a teenager. You <laughs> grew up to be a 40-year-old fucking man. <laughs> That's like twice divorced and a fucking alimony the size of your goddamn head. Like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I came out the womb like this, bro. There's a black void where your heart should be. Yeah. I don't understand you, man. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, back to my review. The boys like that uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> that was. I will say that was good. Thank you. Um, I like the guitar tones a lot too. Very clean, but like punchy and full sounding. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I like the arrangement. I thought it took you to some cool places. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I like the song. I just, the lyrics were a little weird. And you know, I'm not into the, his like the voice. His voice is very whiny, like an emo band, or it's it very angsty. Emo, it's the, it is an emo thing. band. Yeah. It's not into all that. I got over that when I was like 12, but it's cool. The rest of it was cool, though. All right. So, what do you think? Actually, what do you think about it? Uh, I mean, to be honest, like like when I like I think of emo, I think of like punk rock and stuff. So right, to right. me, it's like close to that. I like it a little more rough around the edges. It was very high, very well produced. I will say that. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a soft punk rock. Great song, performances too. Killer performances. Yeah. I I never I didn't get far enough to listen to the lyrics that far to um, decide whether they were rapey or not. But no, um, they are. I was more not. like when I first listened, second listen, I'm thinking like just to the you know cadence and tones and stuff like that. Very well produced song. Well written and structured and all that yeah. stuff. Um, it's timeless too, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, I it's not timeless because I heard it instantly. Was like, oh, early 2000s emo pop punk. It's going to be timeless, <laughs> <laughs> and only time will tell. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous thing to say. But all right, so what do you think? Um, uh, I need we need drum rolls. The fucking same. Yeah, I take uh, it. Put, get on we, that, boys. I take uh, it. Make it on. Make it on the bottom of the billboard. Kidding. You think so? Yeah. Pretty pretty. All right, fucking. That's great. Well, we're three for three. Yeah. So maybe we. Maybe we do like the same thing. We don't like the same thing as I wouldn't put that album on to listen to myself, uh-huh. but I can appreciate the creative value in what they're, they're doing. They're not all hits off that album. There's, there's two of them that are really good. What I forgot to say at the beginning of the segment is that we do have a playlist called Bottom of the Billboard that this will be this song will be on now that we've agreed they can go on there. Absolutely. Um, I, and then also, we, have a, we do have a playlist of all the artists that have been on here too, just the Bottom of the Bill playlist, so go check that out as well. Um, so anyways, let's get back to the podcast. So happy. Yeah. Uh, three for three. I'm glad three you guys came to an agreement. On I that know. One. On yeah. all of them, we came to an agreement. I yeah. was, I was, the last one I was like. You were not into the Adele one. I no. wasn't, but we got. You felt forced by the Hearst we Brothers. Need, we need to found. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, I got, I got peer pressure for sure. We need to, we they need to found, we need a foundation for a they playlist. Gave it, they gave it like 90 biscuits, bro. Our playlist can't be one song long. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we'll, fluff. We'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> or maybe that'd be hilarious. It's just, it's just one it's song one long. It's one song. We should do is start opening up to like it won't, if we well if we start doing the other idea we were talking about start letting people vote on uh, oh, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. songs you know and then that way they can decide I would love because if love it's that. like one of us that decides it's like okay well yeah but if if the people decide then that's like a more accurate representation of what should be on the playlist absolutely and I don't have to like lean on confirmation bias by you. Co- then you guys could have you guys could listen to a song that you, neither of one of you guys choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's a, I like that too. Yeah, it's like what is your suggestion for bottom of the billboard like, yeah, like a once go. a month type situation? Anyways. Email us at bottom of the bill at gmail dot com. Well, don't what just do you give think? that out, uh, bro. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> flooded. Taking that down. Yeah, they're taking that down. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about some of the current bands that you're playing in. Um, 
where do you feel you get so seven bands we talked about seven bands uh, so, yeah. so is there a band where you feel like your voice shines the most in yeah i would say it's follow the monarchs or zero context um zero context right now is still live it's still just improv um but in the studio it's songwriting so that's where i get to explore more of just uh production techniques and playing with different musicians and trying to produce songs with different creative minds um try to learn as much as possible while putting out product um but follow the monarchs as a player i think that's where my voice uh really comes out as to you know the history of me as a player um and playing 100 what it is i want to play on guitar um which i started on drums in the band um never played drums in a band ever but uh we didn't have a drummer and it was just me and Alex Sears and my band veered had kind of like dissipated. So Alex had just moved to town and uh, we started jamming. He was in veered for a minute, fell apart, but I was like, well, I'm not going to pass up the offer, the you know situation of playing in a band with Alex Sears, great keyboard player. And so I would play drums and he would play on synth and we would just jam and noodle around. Um, and then Joe Canoble moved to town, uh, started working at the brewery. And of course, why not have Joe come and play? And then we found a bass player that I've known since middle school. Um, I met him the first time I uh, went up and talked to him. I heard he was a great bass player and that he could play the Seinfeld uh, nice. theme song. Yeah. And this is like, you know, eighth grade or ninth grade. And uh, I was like, hey, I heard you play bass. Can I come over and listen to you? Like, watch. Because I, I just wanted to see somebody play the bass like that. Never heard of anybody playing bass that well, especially someone in my age group. And uh, so he joined the band and... Uh, Eventually, um, I was still learning how to play drums. Um, I had a lot of power behind it, and I was, you know, excited to play on the drums. But ultimately, I was still learning how to, you know, write songs on the drums, how to structure it. Um, I was going off pure emotion and stuff like that. And uh, eventually, it was kind of we were kind of hitting a wall with like our perfection because we wanted to make our music sound a little bit tighter. And I can't play to a click, let alone, you know, track with headphones. It would be my first time. So we decided to um, invite Brad Elliott, who uh, was formerly with uh, Cope and uh, was their last touring drummer and uh, brought him in and hit it off perfectly. Um, And then eventually Alex moved back here to Jacksonville. Um, So now it's it used to be more of like a Pink Floyd meets punk rock type of thing. But Alex definitely drove a lot of the like chordal changes in the roads and organ sounds that gave it a really close to Pink Floydy vibe. Um, and without that there, it's more guitar. So now it's closer to like post-rock um, psychedelia. I don't know. It's hard to describe at this point. You guys feel like, uh, is, is there like a, like a, like a, like what's a band dynamic like when you guys are writing or just in, uh, as far as like the roles go? I've tried to keep it as uh, democratic as possible. Um, that's kind of something I'm working on currently. But pretty much like a garage band. You know, we get together on Mondays, we hang out, we jam, mostly just jam. And then eventually we, like, we record all our sessions, um, multi-track them, and then I'll go back and you know, pluck out stuff that sounds good or make tags along the way and then kind of mix those down just roughly send that to the guys in a Dropbox, and then somebody might be like, oh, that, we should play that again. And then that'll become like a heavier part of our jams, and then eventually it becomes a song, um, and we record each take of it as we're 
you know, developing it. So like one song, we have a song called uh, Wish Her Name Was Pete. And uh, we just knocked out an ending for it just through us jamming. And we we're at the end and like we just kind of like started doing something that we hadn't been doing. And I was like, no, 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 we, we can't let that go. So we went back to it and we, you know, wrote that ending real quick. We're getting quicker, I would say. Um, I've got a music mentor, like music, uh, uh, I guess it's just music mentor, um, KJ Saka from Pendulum, the drummer. And uh, what? He's been, yeah. From Pendulum? Yeah. I take, we, yeah, I meet with him weekly on Zoom. Wait. Oh, I was about to say, I was like, you fucking uh, lives in Dunedin? <laughs> no, no, no. But he, he did come to the brewery and do a performance. But you know what I'm oh, talking wow. about? The drum and bass drummer? Yeah. He also played with Conspirator. I didn't know he played with Conspirator. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pendulum is this awesome fucking drum and bass. Do you know Pendulum? Like, no. Drum and bass rock band. It's the guys from Knife Party. Um, that's their modern, like their more recent, I would yeah. say, like popular act. Okay. Um, but Pendulum's like live rock band drum and bass from England. Okay. And uh, so KJ gives me a lot of, you know, he, he's taught me drums. Um, he's taught me Ableton. And now I've just got him as a music mentor because he's just a wealth of knowledge. That's a hell of a fucking musical mentor. So he, you know, asked me what I'm trying to do and gives me homework. And so my homework recently was to try to delegate a little more in the band, um, take a little more control, have some goals, try to get the guys to set goals together. So that's what I've been doing headstrong is just trying to make more things happen. So you asked me like, how do I make, like, how do I do as much as I do? It's writing it down and planning it. Right. So Mm -hmm. like you set a plan, you got to do it or lose it. Right. And so I'm trying to instill that within the guys. That's a really smart uh, way to, to, to function as a group because we've been doing the same thing as well with Side Hustle where we sit down and we like write goals and, you know. I think smart goals. Smart goals, yeah. obtainable goals. Uh, to, That's to part of reach. smart. Yeah. That's the A. Yeah. Capital A. Yeah, big, big A. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, it's helped with just keeping every, every, everybody motivated, I think, cause yeah. then we have like a little bit of direction and yeah, I think, I think it's a big part. And also like, like you were saying, delegating is a big thing because like one person can't do everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been such, such a big help. I've, uh, I've felt like I basically the conversation with KJ started with me saying that I felt like I was taking on a lot of hats and roles. You know, I'm our, gra- I do all the graphic design. I do all the promotion you know, beyond them sharing the event and stuff, I do the booking, I'm doing the set list, I'm coming up with ideas as much as possible for how we can succeed with our music and how we can get it out there, you know, like setting a date for recording. And I tell them, I'm like, you know, if you guys are happy just getting together on Mondays and making music, I'm right there with you. And then maybe one day that won't be enough for one of us and we'll have to figure that out. But if we all are in this together, you know, you got to have a reason to be there. And so giving out, you know, like having everybody have a task or a specialty beyond just the guitar or the drums or bass or anything keeps us, you know, occupied, keeps us excited, keeps us growing. It makes everyone feel like they're buying in on a different level too, I think, you know. 100%. Yeah. And uh, do you feel like your kind of running Dunedin has helped with be like, kind of taking on a band leader role, like as a leadership role in any yeah. sense. Like you, said, you asked me if I'd ever been to, you know, like went to college for business. My only management skills are band management skills. Um, I, I don't think I could do well managing a team of 30. So I have to delegate to different management, you know, like a kitchen manager, a brewery manager. And so those are, to me, little bands, little ensembles. It's more of like becoming a more of a snarky puppy or an orchestra at that point. You know, you've got your string section, you've got your woodwinds, you've got the timpanis, you've got the percussion. 
and uh, I try to play the role of the director. Um, everybody's practicing and doing their work on their own, you know, but when it comes showtime, you just got to make sure somebody's one, keeping the click and keeping time and making sure that people are being held accountable, totally. creating the rules for that, the rule sets for accountability. Totally. So I'd say, yeah, 100%. Um, kind of goes both ways. Right. I, I learned my management skills in high school by having a punk band and trying to make it, you know, right. at 15. Like, you know what that means back then? It means <laughs> fucking off and hoping for the best. Having fun and hoping somebody finds you and says, hey, here's a bag of money and a record deal. Right. Did it work you out? Know, like, you don't even know. <laughs> no, I went to college for philosophy and religion. <laughs> well, I just so thought maybe it did. where are you stripping now? stripping. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, I try to use everything from both sides. Everything's just one one experience for me. Yeah, man, it's it's wild how uh, I feel like people don't understand that aspect of of the band thing, where it's like there. It's like yeah, it's fun to play shows. We all love it, but there's this whole other element where it really you have to understand the business and leadership side of things in order to really keep it functioning. And it does become like operating a business, you know. It's just it's wild, man. It's wild. I feel yeah. like you like you like it more than actually being a musician. No, no, no. I do. I've, I've. <laughs> I'm I, dead serious. I do enjoy. I do enjoy all, all the stuff on the back end because I've had to learn. I've had to learn to enjoy. Otherwise, if because if I hate it, then I won't do it. Right. right? Or so you got to pay for it at that point. So you got to make more money and then pay someone that does enjoy it. Exactly. And uh, I, which I've at some point I will definitely love to outsource all that so I can just focus on being creative. But for the time being. Yeah, I've done a lot of research and I've and I've learned a lot and I've talked to a lot of I have mentors as well outside of music and the business side of it that have helped me come to certain realizations and uh you know, so yeah, I've, I've grown to appreciate that side of it definitely, but nothing to nothing gets me off like being creative especially in the studio. Yeah. That's like where my that's that where is true. That's where my, we need to get you back in the studio and get you out of this rut, but yeah. <laughs> due to so much business. I swear <laughs> to business is a rut. It is. But you know, I, I I love the studio, man. I, more than performing, because I think that it's a playground where all these options are fully available. You can make it as close to perfect as as you want. Um, and I don't know, there's something about that experience that I just really it, it less pressure. I think too. I get I have like terrible uh, performance anxiety. No. Uh, so. <laughs> Um, what like when the when the red light's on, you you crumble a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, tough. Yeah, uh, well, especially in a, in a live setting, you know, where I'm just like in front of people, in front of people more than anything. Uh, and I don't, I, you know, so well, but, you know, you're a great guitar player, and uh, like you, you're doing great every time I've seen you play. Oh, I, pre- I mean, I appreciate I'm that. I'm sure man. you hear that before, you know, but yeah. uh, I appreciate yeah. that, man. Thank you very much. But it's one of those things where you're just like, you know, and and when when I'm feeling good and I'm having a good night. I, I love performing. It's like my favorite thing in the world. But when I have a bad night, I I could I could kill myself type thing. What? It's like you hate like you hate. Give this guy some help. What's your? What's, <laughs> yeah. is, I guess yours is creating too. Then isn't I'll it? tell you what I do. I do a lot of improv projects. Oh yeah. And I walk away all the time going, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Um. And but p- while you're sitting there walking away the stage, saying, "What the fuck was that?" Shaking your head, other people are coming up to you saying, "Hey, I enjoyed that." Totally. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Totally. You know, like I. It's a hard. It's so hard to transcend that self criticism, self doubt, all that stuff. But that's what makes us grow, anyways. Like that's why we throw ourselves into these situations of improv. 
course. You know, we don't know if it's going to succeed. We don't even know what we're going to play. Right. So even like, you know, improving a guitar solo or something like that, you're throwing yourself to the wolves, totally. your own wolves. Totally. The wolves <laughs> of the guitar strings. You know, that's I like, it is, I like yeah. it. That's my favorite. 100%. No business, no recording studio. It's, yeah, it's being on stage. Yeah. And, and, and exploring that, especially yeah. with improv with jamming, that was my favorite. Yeah. It still is my favorite, I mean. And uh, yeah, just don't get you, man. Yeah. Never well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the improv stuff too. It's just, it's a, it's a different thing. You know, it's just, it's a whole different uh, mindset to kind of put yourself in. But let me put it this way I'm uh, the most unschooled person in my scene when it comes to like musicality and stuff like that. I play with like crazy good people and I wonder why they play with me because I sit there and I go, what do I know? It doesn't matter. I don't know. I can't, re- like, you give me, you know, sheet music. I could probably look at it and after a while figure it out. But most things, I'm just like, the reason I do a lot of improv is because I'd, I want to make noise. I want to make something that people have never felt before. And sometimes it's abrasive. And so I get away with it. And luckily, I've made enough friends that I can have a rhythm section that backs me up that will keep those people with their asses shaking. And I can do the other part to make people feel uneasy. And then we bring them back, and then they're like, oh, saying thank god you know but they like it yeah totally that's it's like getting drunk you know you get intoxicated you feel uneasy and you're kind of like anxious or you know smoking pot or anything like that you kind of but once you come through the other side you're like oh, it's fine i believe they call that the pocket the, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, well a they call it couch lock couch lock. Yeah. the pocket is couch lock the billy, pocket billy uh we were we were on the road and we were talking about the pocket one time just like having like 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 a just that pocket groove you know and billy started rolling his eyes like there's no fucking pocket man like what does that even mean no. people musicians are just He's talking shit when context, they say that but no no, 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 no that's no. what you said no that is not what i said it's, say? it's that nobody really knows what that word means and everybody has a different definition to it and i think it's hilarious is is i would love to like do like a little tour with like all the big wigs or in in improv or whatever and funk and be like what's the pocket man and just call it the name of the documentary pocket but, <laughs> but what about what's in your pocket that's Ooh, what's in your pocket something in my pocket for you <laughs> i like that i do agree billy i think i think what you're saying though is correct that i've heard usually two different schools of thought on that. yeah yeah, yeah. one means repeating yourself perfectly the other one means in the groove, and it doesn't that's mean the perfectly. First, one the of them is more of an emotional groove, and one of them is a technical groove, and I'm, I think people mean those two things. I'm telling that's you, true. we get 10 musicians in the room asking them the same question, and none of them are going to say the same thing. You know what, it's but, ridiculous. But they will all agree that, that it, that's what's happening when they hear it in the moment, and that's the, that's the thing. It's one, it's one of those it's, – it's like trying to describe color, right? It's like orange. Well, we don't know how to describe orange, but we know – It looks like an orange. It. Yeah, but we know that – we know what orange is when, when we see it, right? It's the yeah. same thing with the pocket. It's like, yeah. you can't really describe it, but you know it's happening when you're hearing it. Yeah, I don't know. It's you know? a little fishy to me. I think it uh, doesn't exist. <laughs> um, I'm being, I'm being <laughs> facetious, but that's yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it might not exist. Um, so I'm curious as to uh, what, what's the goal overall? I guess, I guess you kind of described it with Follow the Monarch, but with zero context and in uh, both those those projects, what are you aiming for with with both of those things? What do you What do you want to see happen? Hmm, it's a good question. I, I like feeling around in the dark mostly, so I don't have too grandiose of plans. Um, I'd like to record more with Follow the Monarchs, play some gigs, um, probably start playing at venues that none of us play at um, because of the style of music. It's a little more hard edged. Um, 
we have a lot of great, you know, supporters in like our circle and stuff like that. But um, in the jam scene and funk, it's a lot more light. We're playing something a little more, I don't know, headbangy um, and hardcore. So it's I'd like to find where we're, where our audience is a little more. Yeah. Um, just to see if there is an audience for it. Either way, we're happy to play the music because I think, and Brad said it the other day, like he, we think people enjoy it because we enjoy it. And like that's all that really matters at that point. So anybody else in the room that's enjoying the music is a bonus. Um, but yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see where it goes just as a band. I'm, and the reason for zero context is because I'm always hesitant about uh, hitching my wagon to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is when Alex moved away, moved back to Jacksonville, which he had to do. Um, and we're still great friends, but it was kind of like, you know, we'd been going hard in the paint for three years. Um, he was my right hand at the brewery. Um, we had three projects together. So I was playing in Spore. He joined Fall of the Monarchs. And then we started My Weird Uncle with Jamie Newitt from the Heavy Pets. Um, and we played a lot of music together. And, uh, so like, you know, I'm commit 100%. And so when someone kind of has to leave and things change, it can, affect you in different ways and this affected me a lot because he you know left a gap in not just my musical life but work life and just as a friend you know like not being there and being like one of my main rocks so zero context is kind of my safety net it is my way of working with anybody i want and it's just me there's no band there's no commitment to anybody else except for in projects so um that's more of me making like as a producer, a record producer. So do you want to take, do you want to, do you ever plan on going live with zero context as like a DJ kind of set or what do you want to see happen with that? Um, to me, zero context hits, it's, it's, it depends on the situation. It's ironic because it, the name is zero context, but it's all about context. Right. <laughs> um, so far I've done three, four zero context gigs. Um, one was a drum and bass, live drum and bass um, trio. Um, I always use Ableton um, live with a push to um, as a controller. I'm doing things like sampling, um, adding to the atmosphere, but I'm not a melody player or anything like that. I let the other guys do the thing. So that was drum and bass with just uh, Vinny Svoboda and James Adkins. And then the next time I did it was on my birthday. We'd had 12 to 13 musicians on stage improvising. Um, that's just more just a crazy freak jazz jam. So, and, I'm sorry, you say 12 people on stage? Yeah. That's Jesus wild. Christ. More players throughout the night, but we had to. We can only get so many people. And you know how small that stage is. I was is. like, uh, yeah. Well, like, two drum kits, two bass amps, two guitar amps, but the three stage keyboard stations. But the stage is half stations. the size of my, this Jesus room right now. Yeah. <laughs> no. I've been 12 people on stage. That's I, why we do it on Thursday and fill the, you know, fill the extra space. When I played, when I played with the Greenhouse with y'all at, with Sport, I was just like, okay, so we're... we're Somehow, I I was on stage and we were all on the stage, and then I was like, "So, Spore, how are we gonna get? How are they fucking gonna do that? Because that's how many people." I Spore? think I was it's sitting seven, on Chris's right? back while he was playing drums that yeah. night. It was, <laughs> it was cool. that tight. Yeah, was there's cool. there's seven of us now. That was a great show. Yeah, the band keeps growing somehow. Yeah. So, how'd you get linked up with those guys? I mean, obviously you go way back, but I mean, how'd you get linked up with playing with them? To be honest, I started. I sat in with them a couple times. Um, Alex had moved down, and Joe had moved down. Uh, we were already playing together, and uh, so we had a couple spore shows, you know, like at Spring Beer Jam, Oktoberfest, and another show. And uh, two of those shows, Alex is like, "You want to sit in?" And I was like, "Sure, yeah, of course." And then the third time was, "Hey, do you want to play the whole show?" Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah." 
And then we uh, played up here in 1904, um, and I played a full show with them. And things have just been going off. I mean, no rehearsals. I've never rehearsed with those guys. They've got 10 years under their belt uh, playing these songs, and they don't have recordings out there, you know, that's easy to find or anything. I'm working on that, trying to um, basically produce, you know, a single at the moment to get some more music out there, but it's hard to find the music. And so um, I had to learn just live. You know, Alex would sit there and be like, C minor. And I'd just go for it, and he's got to focus on his thing, and I can't ask any questions. So no. it's like, look at his hands, hope for the best, make some noise. Well, and it's hard to put lighting in a bottle. How are you going to put that on a record? You yeah. know what I mean? Well, it's, and it's tough. So, like, Matt Weiss is now a guitar player in the band, and um, the same way, thrown to the wolves. Yeah, that's right. But it's great because it's the best way to learn it. Yeah, totally. Uh, Matt Weiss, was the first time that uh, Matt played with y'all, was that at OBJ? Yeah, he, he sat in, and then we ended up keeping <laughs> up. We time. ended up keeping him up there for like the rest of the set. I said, it's like we trapped oh, you're him. In the, you're in the band now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we pretty much it. trapped him up there. That that set at OBJ was so awesome. That like okay, so it was at the first awakening of COVID, where it's like COVID's over. Yay! Yeah. 2021 is like it's the first festival. Everybody was so happy. And Greenhouse Lounge played, and then Spore crushed it. It was like the best best show of the festival, without a doubt. And just the the vibe of the whole place, everybody was just so happy because like we beat it, guys. We beat the pandemic. We're done with it. And then December came. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, but it was fun during the time. Oh, it was great. I got yeah. I was I was one of the few that one of the many that fell to COVID in December second time with it. It was wow. brutal, but um, yeah. Uh, um, Matt. He crushed Matt it. Weiss. Matt Weiss. He crushed it uh, w- when we played with you guys oh, at Dunedin yeah. uh, last time too, man. He, he's a great addition to the to the project. I yeah, think. we've done two. I guess we did Halloween after that. We had him up there the whole time, and then uh, the Dunedin show that you guys played with us. And then oh, uh, that's right. I was I was playing with Side Hustle, not Greenhouse. At Dunedin, when yeah. Sport played. Yeah, yeah. We did, did. We do it twice. I can't remember. Uh, I played. I I, I, I wish I wish I had counted how many times I played at the Dunedin Brewery. Now I can't remember. Yeah, I can't. I think it was side hustle. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, we played there a few months back, and he was playing yeah. with them just recently. Yeah. yeah, I've been waiting for you to be go, Jamie. Look it up. But you yeah. haven't yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, so speaking of uh, just making noise, what is uh, unusual noise? Unusual noise is my way of uh, breaking away from the stigma um, that I've dealt with for. I guess almost 10 years now, um, which is the idea that I am just a venue. Um, I book all the shows. I book, you know, I've booked over 1,200, 1,400 shows at one single venue, Dunedin Brewery, in the past 10 years. And um, it still is not necessarily seen as a brand for promoting music. It's seen as a place where music is at. But I see other market, like other brands, come up for, um, say, promotional stuff. Local promotional brands um, start booking shows, and instantly they get recognition because there's no name for what I'm doing except for Dunedin Brewery. Primarily, it's a brewery, and then a restaurant, and there, yeah, it's a venue too. But uh, because of traditionally there being like a three tier, the artist, the promoter, the venue, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to bridge that gap and create a little more robust um, narrative. For the whole thing. Plus, I I've have aspirations outside of booking at the brewery. You know, I'd like to go and be able to buy and rent out a larger venue and grow with the bands that I, you know, kind of break into the market. 
Um, because what happens is bands like Pigeons, you know, blow up and I can't keep growing with them. So I put money down up front, help them, you know, get, you know, some attention in our area. But the next time through, I can't help them because I'm not booking at Crowbar where we can start doing tickets and start really, you know, counting their, you know, I don't know how to, like a lot of agencies days want to know ticket counts because that's your business model. It's, It's like going to the bank for, you know, asking for a loan, you got to show that you're making so much. And I can't do that with a free venue. And that's unfortunate because I'm able to do a lot with the free venue, but I want to do so much more. I want to, you know, grow with these bands. I don't want to keep starting over. So unusual noise is kind of my new brand for basically booking shows and promoting music. Um, I'd love to put out physical copies like vinyl records and stuff like that of live shows and even bands that I'm a part of or want to platform um, and not have it just tied to the brewery. Because if Dunneen Brewery does a show and like, let's say Dunneen Dunneen Brewery sponsors Side Hustle, but we're going to do a show at Crowbar, how many people are going to get confused and show up at Dunneen Brewery? Totally. That's true. And how many tickets did we lose because they didn't know? Because we need to sell those tickets before the show if possible. Right. Just to lock it in. And yeah, it's kind of hard that way. So... Unusual noise, the brand itself, I think it's it says a lot about what I like in my aesthetic of music, what I like to book. You know, not everything I book is unconventional, but a lot of the stuff I do is, you know, kind of on the edge, a little bit underground, a little bit, you know, unique. So it's, it's kind of like a like a media conglomerate sort of deal in a, a way, bit. yeah, yeah, like a little bit of everything. One hundred percent. I love that. I'm trying to basically. I mean, I've always just wanted to do, you know, help promote things, and it's it's tricky in this world because you know, on a Facebook profile or Twitter or anything, you got to put that you got to within you know so many digits say what it is. So you right. guys say like you know I'm doing a lot of stuff. How do I represent that? I can't just make a Facebook post every day saying this is all that I'm working on. Right. I can't put it in my profile. There's not enough space for it, especially on Instagram. Yeah. You know, everything's limited now to, you know, like flash text, small amounts of uh, writing. And I'm trying to do a lot more than that. You know, I'm not trying to contain myself to so many characters in a tweet. I want to say what I want to say and I want to say it fully. Right. So it's, it, to me, it's just creating, like I said, that, uni- you know, a universe of, what I'm up to. And it just, uh, you know, if somebody comes up and they're like, oh, I don't like this, this is noisy or weird, I'm like, well, it's called unusual noise. So, <laughs> you know, like, if you showed up, good on you, but don't complain that it's noisy. Yeah. You know, because totally. I like noisy. Totally. Um, do you want to see, is it, do you want to see that kind of like a, like a label at some point or like a promotion company or like kind of a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything. Yeah. Mostly it's multimedia is the way I see it. I do graphic design. I do um, video production. I do uh, music production, play music, produce shows, um, put out as many products with beer and food as possible. I mean, I'm trying to do a lot. Um, and I feel like I'm the only person that can represent myself. Um, I'm too busy trying to produce to hunt down somebody that's going to, what are they going to do? Invest in me? And then tell me what they want for the return. No thanks. You know, I'm not no investors in my life. I'm the only investor, and I'm never going to be told to do otherwise. Because I need to have complete autonomy and freedom to be myself. That's dope. Man. Yeah. And I hope other people do that too. You know, I know sometimes it's hard, and you got to take the bag. But 
that bag comes with consequences. Yeah. And you got to know who you're hooking up with, whether it be bandmates or, you know, employees or who you're working for. So, yeah, make smart choices out there. Yeah, for sure. And it gets real hard because when you start having all these aspirations to grow and do all these things, all, all like the only real barrier is, is you know, money most of the time. 100%. And uh, so when you start kind of surrounding yourself with money people, it gets easy to be like, hey, so what about this? What about that? And there are strings attached for sure. I mean, everybody wants a return on their investment or at least to know that if there isn't, that there's some kind of system in place, right, mm-hmm. that protects everybody. But, uh, but yeah, it is very important to either say fuck that or just like you said, know who you're jumping in the bed with, you know? Because yeah, I mean, I've had it's it's odd because you know doing free shows and making guarantees to bands, it's almost unheard of, kind of in a yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, people do it as you know in clubs, but um, to the caliber of bands that I book, like I'm sure that everywhere everywhere else you guys play as hu- side hustle is ticketed, ticketed shows, yep. just packed like yeah. So. <laughs> it's, you're lucky to get. On the wait list, yeah, but, you know, for a ticket. So we're doing all right. I need a Patreon for that. No, yeah. I wish. I just wish for the tickets. I yeah. wish we had more spots on Patreon, and we just don't. This yeah, time, we're, just, <laughs> we're we're doing well. We're not Scarcity, doing bad. <laughs> yeah. But it, but people, um, you know, suddenly, you know, people come out of the woodwork because they think I'm ready to just throw money at people, um, just because, you know. And it's like I have taste, I have wants, I have desires, I have. You know, I'm a creative myself, which I think is the the thing that makes me different as a like a talent buyer. You know, I'm not just somebody that loves music and wants to have fun and feel good about it. I want to make music happen. Yeah, totally. And I want music to happen a certain way because I have a certain taste. And I've always had a certain taste, and I've always been like, "Yeah, this is not for me, and this is for me." And I want more of what. I like in the world, just like anything else, you know, like, like it's like teaching somebody something the better that, you know, if you guys are teaching, like if you're teaching a guitar student, you're making the world better because it's going to be musically better. And that's what you care about in the world. So if you have better guitar players out there, they're not competing with you. They're just making the world a better place right. for your ears. That's all. That's an awesome viewpoint, man. That I think that's like, you kind of nailed it on the head with the, uh, with how unique, your situation is over at the Needham Brewery because yeah, like you get all these big acts in and you and you throw the guarantees and all that stuff, and there is no burden of ticket sales and stuff like that, which is wild in most scenarios. They don't even have to make a post on their social if, or put it on their calendar. I've seen it. It doesn't mean that I'm gonna want to work with them again, but <laughs> you yeah. know, like it, it's like oh, just take the money and run. You know? yeah. But as long as it's successful for me in some way, you know, not every show's. Uh, you know, making a bunch of money or something like that. But as long as we're not losing right, over and over and over, we can keep doing what we're doing. Totally. Totally. Um, so uh, I kind of want to touch base on uh, the anti-brewery a little bit. So what is that for people who don't know? The anti-brewery is um, the opposite of Dunedin Brewery. Um, it's a spinoff side project um, that we started back in 2017. Um Dunedin Brewery is a staple around Dunedin's 25 years, oldest in the like state of Florida, continually run distributed brewery. It's very hard to make change. Very, very hard. You, I want to be a creative you know, outlet, and when you make a lot of creative beers and the people are coming in and they don't care about them and they just want that beer that used to be there, I kind of realized that it was a very traditional type of 
clientele. Um, not everybody, but our clientele is a lot of tourism. You know, we're Florida's oldest, so people come there just to witness it. You know, if they're into beer, they're going to Florida. Dunedin's got seven, eight breweries in town. Let's go to the granddaddy of them all. It's just made it hard to be creative outside of music. So anti-brewery is kind of our way of doing whatever the, you know, whatever comes to mind um, and not caring. So the only rule about anti-brewery is that we, if everybody else is doing it, do the opposite. Yeah. Um, craft beer at that point, when we first started, we were doing like glitter beers. Yeah. Um, milkshake IPAs. Sounds delicious. You know, sugar bombs. Like basically like candy for adults. Um, not beer, in my opinion. Um, obviously, it's got beer in it, but when I, I'm not a sugar head. I don't like candy. I don't really care for that. I want, you know, a lager or an IPA. I want to taste the malt and the hops. I don't want to just taste malt or just taste hops right. or just taste anything. I want a good balanced thing, you know? And uh, so at Anti Brewery, we just kind of, it's like a punk rock type of, people say it looks like someone's dad's garage or unfinished basement. <laughs> yeah. It's got plywood on, like raw plywood on the walls. Um, the ground is, you know, unfinished concrete it's a gutter punk aesthetic yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and and and, it, and it's uh, and the aesthetic is gutter punk. i mean it's basically anarcho peace punk it's uh right, right, right. the aesthetic is based on the band crass which is a uk punk band that like famously sabotaged their career because they would just do they were like they weren't really activists they were more like like the dada artists of their scene. So they would go out there and do nonsense and create fake news and try to get outraged by doing stuff. And they had very politically uh, motivated lyrics and stuff like that. Um, you know, songs like penis envy and stuff like that. They're very feminist and very, um, you know, anti like pro vegan, you know, very much anarcho peace punk. So wanted everything to be perfect in the world and there not to be any harm done to other people. So it took their logo and they're basically anti-capitalist so i knew that they would not send a C and D. i'm like steve ignorant is if he does that then i've got him by the ball yeah right. <laughs> and i would have marketing all over the place i would change my logo but i would say this is why yeah and that would just ruin his career because he's notoriously <laughs> does not care about capitalism and is, sabotages it i i, I love I, I i that whole dynamic right there is like i just love that it's so, it's just so steal someone's shit that won't sue you. Yeah, it's so fucking funny. <laughs> or so, that it'll look bad. It's paying homage to to an idea that ultimately you would use the idea that they hate against them if they tried to use the idea. One hundred percent. It's so fucking That's funny. That's like making Rage Against the Machine T-shirts, basically. Yeah, exactly. What are they gonna do? Burn it? Hey, well, I don't know. Hey. I saw the ticket prices. I'm pretty sure they would uh, come oh at this God. point. Yeah, they must need money. <laughs> Speaking of your beer, though, I'm sorry. I got to get up because I put your beer in the freezer. I'm just scared. It's Do not explode. let that thing pop. Yeah. Oof, that'd be... They're probably right on the verge. <laughs> um, what, uh, uh, so what do you think is like, like the wildest thing you guys have come up with there? Because you guys just like make... You guys just test shit out, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty much like everything was one-off. We, uh, we haven't opened very much since pandemic because it was a very small space and ultimately it's a side project. It still exists. It's just pretty much on hiatus at the moment um, until things are a little bit more secure because staffing is still an issue in the hospitality industry. So 
I don't want to take any chances um, on that venture because it's not a moneymaker. It's a, it's a side project. It's purely there to um, have fun and let my mind go wild. Gotcha. And let us explore things that we can't do in the other place. So wildest thing we've done there, it, it's a mix of names and beer styles. So like wildest beer we've done um, was one of the brewers uh, came up with a recipe for something that mimicked a painkiller cocktail, um, which had like coconut cream in it and stuff like that. And like, you know, nutmeg, like it was basically a tiki drink um, that poured out as a beer. And it was very, very strong because it was based on a barley wine. So it was like 13%. And uh, it lived up to its name. So like style-wise, I would say that was the weirdest one. Names were really what we caught people's interest with. Yeah. Our IPA is called horse meat. Horse meat, yeah. So like, you know, one. I'll take a pint of horse meat. <laughs> yeah. um, I just liked hearing people say that. Yeah. You know, like making pe- like if you really want that beer, you're going to have to say this. Um, and uh, my baby mama... Um, came up with one one time, which is the most controversial. Um, it was called Pussy Clips. Pussy Clips. And it's two words, yeah. puss and eclipse. Clips, yeah. And it was a red beer. <laughs> it was a pink beer, I guess. Um, but yeah, when you say it and you ordered it, it sounds like you order, you're, I need a pair of, I need a pint of Pussy Clips. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, our whole goal is to make people feel uncomfortable. We have a sign that says, this is not a safe place. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a safe place. Like, like it's got a, like a murder clown, a clown with a balloon that says murder on it. Yeah. Hanging on that sign that says that. Like when you walk in there, you're in a different world. Um, not in a bad world. You are in a safe place. We're not going to let somebody, you know, hurt anybody or be an asshole. But if you're not okay with cuss words, loud music, um, like I even say like politics, they say that shouldn't be in, in bars, politics and religion, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's have that conversation. Yeah. And that's what people are like, Oh no, but it, you can have good conversations about that. You know, like depends on who you're hosting. Totally. Yeah. I don't let people, um, walk all over each other. I don't let people, um, you know, we don't, one of the biggest things I stand for in my like hospitality, especially like with our staff and at the bre- at Dunedin Brewery specifically, is we don't tolerate intolerance and we don't tolerate people being assholes to other people. You know, um, which luckily we don't really have to do much in Dunedin. Like if somebody's being a crazy asshole on at outside, the customers will literally I've seen them turn around and be like get out of here if you have a problem. Like, we don't want to hear you <laughs> complain anymore about, you know, this other person looking at you wrong or whatever it is. So, Dunedin's a very, like, you know, chill town. So, I've always tried to make sure that that is a big part of our thing. Same thing with the anti-brewery. You know, like, we uh, we booked somebody that uh, was controversial at a certain point, and people accused me of um, booking someone that would make um, other people feel unwelcome in Dunedin. And I was just like, well, what are you doing by trying to tell me that I should cancel this show, telling somebody that they're unwelcome in Dunedin? And I told him, I said, you know, if this person really is what you say they are, and they're, they're basically said they were a not like a neo-Nazi or something, I knew that wasn't the fact. Um, I could see the long story, but I could see why somebody would lead to believe that. But if you did a little diving and you realize you're like, what are they talking about? Like, it seems like it's a little bit far-fetched. And I made it clear, if somebody has something hateful to say, I will be the one turning the hose on that guy. I'll be the one fucking, you know, hosing him down for saying something like that. But I don't think that that's the case. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I think I stand for 
equity, equality, fairness, treating people good um, at all costs. And I've always stood for that. So for someone to try to claim that, and I did my research, and if I would have find, you know, have found something like that, I would have been like, nah, I gotta, uh, you're, it's not going to happen here. Still, it must but, have been kind of expensive for Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Jordan Peterson would have been great. Yeah, just build- get him out there and oh, let him sorry, just argue ben, with ben people. Shapira. Ben Shapiro. Ben <laughs> Shapiro. Oh, that's the um, opener, probably. Wait, that's the opener. <laughs> are you trying to tell me you afforded? Uh, you afforded Donnie to come to you the anti-brewery? No, so I mean, my whole thing we'll is like you to make, two you know, more years. You got to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> you just got to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know who I vote for and stuff like that. And it doesn't really fucking matter, but it's like, it's, it's always the opposite of what people think. Totally. Um, and I, it's funny that I, like, I don't really, I've always been apolitical. Um, obviously the last, what, eight years have been almost like everybody wants to be political. Everybody's hard not to, it's hard not to, you know, have those conversations and, uh, I'm trying to get back to the just apolitical. I don't really care what their viewpoint is. As long as they're not espousing hatred in my spot, then I'm, I don't care if you're believe the earth is flat. I I really don't care. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't bother me. I does. It would bother me if you were like the white house scientist of right. Know, NASA or something like that. Cause if you're doing that, you should probably know something different. You know, I don't know, <laughs> well. but you know, it's just like everything else. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I do think there's a right or wrong way to treat other people. Totally. Yeah, hundred percent, man. I love that. Anything goes in anti brewery, Mike Sand. I'm trying to get into the next segment. Unpopular opinion. Oh, we're, we're I'm, I'm I'm full of them. We're we're, just, we're we're fucking we're fucking there, we're bro. We're fucking there, we're man. We're here. Welcome to Unpopular Opinions. Yeah, uh, that's a great. Great segment. to have you again. <laughs> You're always welcome. Um. All right. Uh. So typically, the way that we do it is. Billy goes first. What? That's not a thing. Or I go first. Oh, sorry. Whoever, uh, and then uh, the other person, whatever. Our guest is we, last. Yeah, our guest is last. Is that what you wanted to Basically, say? Yeah, that's what I was trying I'll to say. I'll get you there. Having a rough day. Right, <laughs> tell me, bud. <laughs> okay. So go ahead. Go first. Uh, I don't want to say at. this because it's like we were so good about like uh, everybody's got like, I don't know, like peace and harmony in the world. So uh, I a couple of days ago I was watching some like nature documentary and I saw how um, polar bears uh, eat food um, and one of the things that they do is they go around uh, in the uh, North Pole I think is where they're from North Pole and they'll wait to where giant openings of ice are like kind of not giant openings small places of ice that open up uh, where beluga whales. Uh, have to eventually come up to breathe because they're mammals. Anyways, so polar bears just just claw at them every time that they go, and mm-hmm. then eventually they die and they pull them up, and that's how polar bears eat. Yeah. Anyways, my popular opinion is I don't care if global warming gets rid of polar bears. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. I just don't. I don't care. Yeah. I, I'm saying global warming. <laughs> a couple a couple inches of water on the coast. Eh. Polar bears go, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just going to raise my uh, property value because I'm like <laughs> at least two blocks in. Yeah, exactly. It's going to... Uh, I'm not... I'll I'm take not, that beachfront real estate. So let me be I'll, cl- I'll miss my neighbors though, shit. <laughs> so let me be clear. I, this has nothing to do with me uh, uh, against global warming being a thing. Like it's definitely a fucking thing. I, don't, I think it's awful. You just don't care. I'm just saying like the least important thing that's going to happen... Hundred percent polar bears. <laughs> you don't think we should protect the polar bears? 
No. <laughs> they're the top of the fucking food chain. And like, just if, they, if they're really that smart or whatever you care about, just take them all and bring them back in. Just capture them all. They're also great swimmers. So I think they'll be all right. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen a lot of those like arms of an angel videos where it's those polar bears. They're like skinny. They're like skeleton polar bears. And there's, they can't even eat beluga whales. And I say, that's a win for the whales. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, have you ever, but you know what? Have you ever seen on the on the on the opposite end of that? Have you ever seen orcas try to uh, when 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 they uh, go after seals? Yeah, like when that when like seals will be on a piece of ice, and the orcas will actually create waves that knock them off the Fuck ice, man, dude. and then Nature's and then with one orca on the other side to catch the seal yeah. when it falls off, and then they just att- so in your world you just get more orcas doing that, no. and less polar bears scratching at belugas. B- Orcas are not mammals, are they? They are mammals, oh, they are absolutely. Mammals? Did you ever oh. watch Free Willy or what? No, I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> 1993 <laughs> it was, it was, it was, too, was a little, little rough in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, it's a little racy. too racy. Well, it was the soundtrack. You were allowed one to watch. My, it's one of my favorite uh, Michael Jackson songs is from the Free Willy. Keep it in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, a, what a weird song for Michael Jackson it's to a good song. sing, right? Anyways, uh, 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 I don't care about polar bears. That's my unpopular opinion. Okay. So uh, that's a good one. Thank you. Um, my unpopular <laughs> opinion is not quite as controversial, uh, but uh, um, I think that Paul Simon is better than Bob Dylan. Um, at what? At horseshoes. At, at being at, at being a songwriter and just being a musician Ooh. overall. I mean, they're they I understand what you're trying to say because they're both in that like Americana sort of vein. But who's first? Uh, well, the, Paul Simon had Simon and Garfunkel around the same time that Bob Dylan That's was not doing true. it. Yes, it was a '60s. What was, no, like, actually, what what Paul, year? What year did Bridge Over Troubled Water come out? Uh, it was a '69. 1970. Okay, 1970. Okay, Fucking Bob Dylan was like so before that. But but Bridge Over Troubled Water wasn't their first hit. They were around. Wait, they were they've been around since like the mid to late '60s. But that when, was the one that like made it famous. I don't care. He's still better. Okay. Right. At what? At being a songwriter, yeah, writing Bob lyrics, Dylan, Bob Dylan didn't really mix it melodic. up at all, did he? But he, but he did. But with what, the band what about comparing that? like their their song lists, like product, like how many songs they uh, wrote? Whoa. Because you got to find a metric to to say who's best. Well, in I mean, some manner. Paul Simon has so many albums out too. If you if you include uh, Simon and Garfunkel stuff, you know, and then and then you the Graceland album, and then everything moving after that, and then he just released a new record, maybe like a year or two ago which i will say doesn't hold up to his uh heyday but it's still really good uh bob dylan had a similar tra- trajectory and he he changed it up with the band and went electric for a while and um he had some great stuff in the 80s also it's not to disparage bob dylan it's just to say that bob dylan gets a lot of credit and i heard this comparison recently he was first not because he was first no, because, because he was first is why he gets a lot of the credit no um but the, I've heard this. Uh, I mean, why are we arguing about this? That's just the fucking thing that happened. I heard this comparison recently. And I was like, "That's that is an interesting comparison." And I te- and I think that Paul Simon is just a much more talented and creative uh, writer. I love Vampire Weekend. He's doing a hell of a job. <laughs> what do you mean he's first? Who is Bob Dylan? Yeah, Bob Dylan. First at what? I like that at being question. famous. Doing, that, no, right, well, that's Billy's metric for talent. No, is hold fame up, hold and, up. And it's, not wrong. it's not wrong. Uh, uh, it. Being famous in that same genre, that Americana genre. I don't think Tell he me was that first. Not, Can we look that up? Oh is there, is there a way to look I'm that not, up? I'm Who came out first? Paul Simon, Simon and Bob Dylan. Is he New York too? Yeah, yeah. he's New York. New Jersey. Same light. Okay. I think. 
Uh, yeah, we're about to find out right now. Who came Jones out? Who, who was first? Like I don't know. Hmm. I'll I'll be honest with you. I like Paul Simon a hell of a lot more than Bob Dylan. That's what yeah, I'm saying. I, say, I like the. I would say I would more likely listen to like Simon and Garfunkel than yeah. Bob Dylan. A hundred percent. And and that's all I'm trying to say is that like lyrically, musically, he was more more interesting. He literally brought in like a, like an African rhythm section for the Graceland record. A thousand and, didgeridoos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I love that. Bob Dylan, <clears throat> not that he wasn't creative or didn't explore things, but it was just, he, it was so much more uh, obvious what he did. Whereas Paul Simon just brought it's like you never you never knew where he was going to go and all these elements that he would bring into the he was he was constantly pushing the creative boundary i think whereas bob Dylan say yeah well i added a band and we we sound like a rock band now yeah but it's like, like it's he's cool, definitely but. not like the staples sort of like these times they are a change and like he doesn't he doesn't get that paul simon doesn't get that I mean, that's why I'm saying he the was diamonds earlier. on the soles of her shoes that's that's pretty no 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 i'm saying like all on the watchtower. Like, there's so what many about more. The boxer. Like, I mean, like, there's so many amazing like hits with Simon and Garfunkel. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, that there are great songs that he wrote, but Bob Dylan's way bigger. Bob's got like a Peace Prize, right? Like a Nobel or yeah. Uh, like he's he's like he's like America's fucking son. Like that. Like Paul Simon. I'm sorry. He was like the writer of American like soul, like not was, the like the yeah, soul of America at a certain point. So it's unpo- yeah. it's unpopular for sure because we're fucking talking about it. But yeah, if we're having. What it, was your original opinion, anyways? That What'd Paul Simon's better than Bob Dylan. No, and well, Billy's well, metric pretty unpopular. Yeah, yeah, it's unpopular. It's unpopular, but Billy's metric for uh, talent is also how many people like what you do. Wow, and that's uh, I just really I'm not that. very successful at all. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, I just I just think that uh, Paul Simon is very timeless. Bob Dylan is like he should have a head on Mount Rushmore. Like that's the end of it. All right, well, it's unpopular. Those colors do not run. <laughs> that's uh, America. Do, do we do we know who came out first? So Bob Dylan's first album came out in 1962. Thank you. Simon and Garfunkel's first album came out in 1964. Ooh. Okay. Right. Yeah. It was a se- it was early 70s. I think when when he he started doing his solo endeavor. But yeah, it's a two year difference, bro. I I like I I get it. But Blonde on Blonde versus Bridge Over Troubled Water, who wins? Uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Are you? What an amazing song. The Anyways, album, Dumbo. Uh, <laughs> what's your unpopular opinion, Mike? What do you got yeah, for yeah. us? I think Spotify is beneficial to the artist. I just said this last week, actually. This was my unpopular opinion uh, last week. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, when whole, Dre was on there? Uh, no, no. When uh, we, we actually do, we haven't released it okay. yet at this point, but the Hearst gotcha. Brothers from Canada, we did a okay. Zoom call with them. My unpopular opinion was that I don't hate the streaming platforms. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. He's do I need, going another, do I need another opinion? Or He's not? saying no, no, no. beneficial. Yeah, I think it's beneficial. I, yeah. I, I want to hear. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to hear you dive into this a little bit. I, you know, I, I, it just seems like a lot of people talk about it. Um, and I think today uh, Neil Young dropped pulled his whole uh, catalog off of Spotify to topical, try to yeah. protest them having another uh, creator on there. Um, and I don't really listen to the other creator. I also don't list stream Neil Young on Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> um, haven't done that since I've had Spotify. Um, I think it's kind of I, I, we could have just said that, but I think it's silly what he thinks that you know Spotify needs to respond to him. Spotify is an opt in. Right. We don't have to do it. Everybody that complains about Spotify doesn't have to interact. They can go and find other ways. And I think that's good. I think that what the problem is is that 
um, people are expecting something other than what Spotify offers. Um, it's very upfront what Spotify offers. I don't think it's going to make you a lot of money, but I do think that it's beneficial because it makes it very, very easy to share. Totally. Yeah. And the, the, the that's other, a, that's the good part. The other side <laughs> of it, no, the, the, the other, just to kind of build on that idea is that there's also not just, they're not the only streaming platform. So there's multiple across the board. And you, you start to calculate the, the income across all of the platforms. You can start to see real numbers generate from that. And uh, furthermore, the only people that are really complaining about Spotify and, and the modern day methods of listening to music are people that made their money pre-streaming, yeah. right? The artists coming up today, yeah. they might have a problem with it, but it's like you don't really get to have that much of a problem with it because you didn't make your money off record sales. It, it's kind of like complaining that someone didn't put you on their festival lineup. Exactly. It doesn't do any good. Exactly. And it definitely it, doesn't get you on that lineup. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, so I wholeheartedly agree with you. I also think that if you really want to be mad at somebody, uh, be mad at the labels and the, and the and the royalty companies like ASCAP and BMI that are, that are striking the deals with Spotify. Yeah. You're mad that your ten dollars a month is going to Justin Bieber. That's not Spotify's fault. That would be ASCAP and BMI's fault uh, for saying, "Yeah, that's how we'll distribute the wealth." And then the record labels that are collecting all the income. I think there there was a metric that came out something like uh, labels are making uh, what was something like in the tens of millions of dollars an hour off streaming platforms and uh, where artists aren't seeing a lot of that money. I think it so, says like artists are making like 16% of the entire like pot. share. That's yeah. which is, which we can look at that and we can say that's insane and we can talk about that uh, thing, but you, you, sh you can't be mad at Spotify for striking a deal with people that own the rights. The people that own the rights are the ones you should be mad at. Yeah. You know? They're doing what's best for Spotify. Totally. And if you run a business uh, that you understand that concept. Why, you know, don't they, why don't they just set it up like they used to do for cell phone minutes? All right, just listen to this. Right? <laughs> so yeah. like you put you put $10 a month in. Oh, you want a credit system? I want one, almost like a jukebox. It's one cent per play. And then that's where that cent goes is where your play went. And then what's that? A hundred times 10? That's, I can math. 100 times 10 That's is 10,000. A thousand, 10, a thousand, a thousand. A thousand uh, songs that you get to listen to a month. Or you can do more if you want to, but it's always just a penny. But that penny goes straight to that person. Yeah, but I know, Bill, you'd believe that uh, whoever owns Spotify should be able to do whatever they want with Spotify. I totally agree he with doesn't, that. He's, he's kind of a socialist, so he's not into that idea. But uh, Democratic okay. socialist, yes. Without yeah, a doubt, yeah. So absolutely. That's a paradox. But so, yeah, I okay. mean, if, if, if Spotify was a government agency, Fuck I would yeah. agree. Huh? If Spotify was a government agency, I would 100% agree with you. I, yeah. Because it needs to be fair at that point. I, yeah. I, I just, you get, like, you just get it, bro. Have I, you I mean, finished it yet? Huh? Your soapbox. Have you finished it? I'm just, I'm just agreeing with what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you said. Know, if you throw a little water into the soapbox, that soap slips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's fucking take, no, me, I, take me down. Yeah, I, think it, I, think it's, I think it's odd that people complain about it. I think, you know, it's odd that people complain about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm always criticizing social media and stuff like that. I should have just said, I think the internet's yeah. worse for the uh, humanity than it is beneficial. That's your Instagram handle, isn't yeah. it? Down yeah. with the internet. Down with the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Down with the internet. <laughs> Follow on Instagram. <laughs> the irony in that. Or don't. <laughs> yeah, or don't, whatever. <laughs> Down with it all. Instagram. Fuck, Fuck the internet. <laughs> Come log in to talk to me, like for me to talk about why not to? Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking great. I fucking hate this internet. Anyways, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> um, well, Mike, thanks for being with us today, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for fun. having me. Hey, break a leg tomorrow, bud. I hope not. I've done that 
like it shows before. It's not good. <laughs> I have bad knees. You know what I meant. Was it like a yeah, Dave but it's Grohl like situation? a personal thing. I've busted I, my knees I, so many times. Is it a Dave Grohl situation where you just walk out there on, on mm. or not walk, but wheel out there and just continue the show? It's crutching. I can't afford a wheelchair or somebody <laughs> to wheel me out there, so it's more like crutches out there. Uh, well, yeah, once very... I jumped off the off the drum throne and uh, hyperextended my knee, and then kept playing though you just gotta keep playing man it's like a budget dave Grohl. then yeah that's i dig it dave Grohl situation is my new garage band dave Grohl situation dgs dude let's go. Uh, um, all right well make sure you follow mike's bands yeah. uh or do you do you guys you guys have stuff out on spotify at least uh follow monarchs um self-titles on there with me playing drums and alex sears on uh vocals and things have changed since then but still a good representation of our catalog awesome. for sure um other than that, zero context stuff. I'm working on a release um, with basically doing some singles with different friends um, like Mike Garuli from the Heavy Pets. Um, hopefully get like you guys involved. Yeah. Because my man. whole thing is just to like set up small keyboardist. little bits. Exactly. Oh, you know I love keyboardists. All right. I don't know. So that and then, uh, yeah, you can find scallop stuff on there too. It's just uh, live recordings from the soundboard. Cool. Of improv. So. And then also make sure to check out Dunedin Brewery and all the amazing things they got going on. Yeah, to, follow that one. It's support all the amazing bands and live music in Florida and across the board. Some of the artists that come through there just blow my fucking mind, man. It's so Disney World for Me musicians. Too. Me too. I say it every time. I fucking love that place more than anything. It's the most magical place. Hell yeah. Hey, the, hearing that is exactly why I do it. Yeah. And I can I can say that I can say with certainty it's uh one of my favorite places to play and yeah. that's from having played all across the country uh your spot man i love the, the hot from the hospitality to the vibe to everything it's just it's an amazing bring spot. bring back the sure. bunk beds that's all i'm trying to say. <laughs> oh, I, I still have the bunk beds fucking hey bring them back <laughs> yeah, dude, that's that gonna key. be that's gonna be airbnb we'll have another spot for you ah. <laughs> bring up the bunk bed just make sure you get the bunk beds with like the therapy the therapeutic Therape- therapeutic mattresses. Yeah. There's yeah. two of them like that, and then two are hard as rocks. So I know which one's which. I know. You yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Adios, Appreciate muchachos. It,